Welcome to Because I Said So, a podcast where we amplify youth voices and use age to better understand the world around us. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you find us. It really, really helps others find this podcast. I hope you guys enjoy. We have my very favorite human on today, my Ali Moop. Do you want to introduce yourself, Allie? Um, well, <laughs> if you guys are real fans of the pod, then you will know me already. True. But for those of you who are newbies, I'm Ali. By now I'm in school in New York, but I love Virginia very much, so that's why I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I like how you said that as if those were two mutually exclusive things. As if you can't go yeah. to school in New York and also love me. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting nervous. <laughs> I don't know if we're telling that I'm being recorded. It feels like, you know the concept of the panopticon? Yes. That's what it feels like. <laughs> Well, speaking of being perceived, today <laughs> today we're talking kind of about, like, the feminine image, and we're going to get into, like, more specificity of it, but Ali, do you first want to talk about kind of, like, what you perceive as kind of the feminine image more generally, and then we can get into, like, what we feel like are specific pressures on the feminine image? Mm. Oh, that's kind of a hard question. I feel like... There, depending on where you are and what age you are, the feminine image can be different. I feel like it's kind of this collection of expectations, which is funny because that's what we're going to talk about. Um, and there are a certain like characteristics um, and duties almost that I think are connotated with being a woman that like make you a woman, quote unquote. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I like that you like, said like the duties thing because it feels like in some ways it almost feels like a moral thing. I mean, especially when we look like dating back to kind of like Republican motherhood, like a lot of like the feminine image and feminine ideals, like were associated with this moral standard that was placed upon women that like was not, right. And it wasn't placed upon men. And it's kind of like this interesting thing. Yeah. I feel like the feminine image has been kind of, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of like a job Yeah, (laughs) in a weird way. Um, because women are expected to be something and I feel like it's so easy for there to be a failure of your womanhood even if you can't even put your finger on what it is like if it's non-tangible oftentimes I think femininity can be more fragile than people care to admit simply because there are these unspoken uh, expectations yeah and I think I mean we kind of touched on like really quickly like something like republican motherhood of like that feminine image but I feel like there's like a lot of different like it's there's not necessarily one feminine image I mean that there's like a lot of like kind of overarching I think themes that we see but it's different in every culture but it like still feels like it applies to every culture so do you want to touch on what like you feel like at least in like the American like aspect of it today like what you feel like the feminine image is and how honestly like it feels like there's like dueling aspects of the feminine image that like make it so hard to like perfect it because it's like it's almost oxymoronic yeah wait hold on give me two seconds i'm gonna pick up my keyboard book because we talked about like all this morning in class and i feel like it's relevant to the conversation um 
have a bunch of notes written in the margin. So. Oh, she's so she's <laughs> such a scholar. I am. I will. I'm, I'm not even gonna lie. Like I pulled my book out, and like my annotations were kind of hitting compared to other people's books. Just saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> just saying. Um, okay. So yeah, I feel like there are a lot of different feminine archetypes you can embody. I think oftentimes. Um, race and sexuality most definitely play a role in what those are. I mean, like, if you look at overarching, if you look at, like, race, there are stereotypes specifically for different races where, like, I feel like, um, like, this morning you were talking in class about, uh, for black women, the feminine image, like, the image of a woman who is black in the eyes of society is going to be different than a man or than a white woman. Mm -hmm. And so, but I think that there's an overarching trend of hyper-sexualization being, like, expected, but at the same time, shamed. Right. I think there's a duality to the female body where people, it's almost like society wants to see it from you um, in order to hold any value but as soon as you turn on that sexuality, you're no longer taken seriously. But at the same time, if you aren't perceived as sexually valuable, then you're not really perceived as valuable at all. Um, so it is kind of like, like you said, oxymoronic, where it's like, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't <laughs> situation. Right. No, exactly. And it's like, it makes me think about stuff in like the workplace. And it's like, of course, I don't want to, like, undermine any work that women are doing in any field, but it feels like a lot of times, especially in male-dominated fields, like, you have to have some sort of sex appeal. And if you don't, I mean, we've talked about this before in the sense of, like, even in places like high school and just, like, any area, it feels like, as a woman, there's a lot of times that men won't pay attention to you or won't, like, give you the time to really get to know you or have that conversation to learn the depths of your humanity unless you have that like gateway physical appearance and you meet this certain like look so it's almost like the key to get through the door a lot of times I think is fitting that feminine image and so in a lot of ways you said it is like a job and it does feel like a job like it feels like almost like in some ways not literally but like as important as having like some sort of degree or something like that because it's important for you to be this visual expectation and meet that for what they have in like a workplace or a corporate environment especially I feel like corporate environments yeah most definitely I think in a male-dominated world to gain any sense of power you have to appeal to what um the men in power want (laughs) right well it makes me think of like Bill Clinton-esque too it's like and also like just like the power structure and it's interesting how like I think that like you were saying like you kind of like are blamed or like outcasted if you do show that sexuality like you're you just like not it's not taken as seriously but like in that situation like the bill clinton situation i feel like it's kind of also like well acknowledged that he had a sort of like power structure that enabled him to kind of like manipulate i forgot her name not at the time though when it i mean like, you def- we've definitely seen, I think, an evolution in the way that people view those prior dynamics in the last couple decades, because when it first happened, right. Mark Lewinsky was treated like a slut by the entire American public. Exactly, yeah. Without any consideration as to, you know, what position was she put in. Right. It's just, it's not fair, and I think oftentimes um, people fail to consider 
the alternative options, you know, like, what did she, did she feel like she could say no? Or like, I just think it's like, there's a lack of compassion generally for women once um, they've sexualized themselves. I feel like when it comes to women, um, sex, like sexualization is associated with the loss of humanity. Yeah. And it's not the same for men. Like, I feel like men are able to be um, in tune with themselves sexually and not have their humanity subtracted from them. But I think if a woman wants to be seen sexually, then all of a sudden that humanity is gone. Well, it's right. And, I mean, I kind of want to get into a discussion, like, a little bit. Because you and I have had, like, private conversations about, like, is it really ever consensual if a woman is not, like, you know, like, considerably wealthy for her to be involved in like porn like is that ever really ethical is that ever fully consensual because so much of it is either like I know like a lot of times especially like if you're in like a lower class situation and it's kind of like last option it's a way to make money um or it's kind of like a loss of identity it's sometimes like manipulation again like we said like with of people in power of men who have power over you and it's like talking a little bit about that like what's your opinion on I guess that topic. On porn? Yeah, and just, like, the ethicism, especially as it relates to women and, like, consent that women can give, especially in, like, maybe, like, lower middle class, et cetera, but also just, like, as a woman overall and, like, knowledge of your consent, kind of. Um, I think the topic of porn can be complicated. Like, it's definitely a controversial thing. Right, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but can I pull up with one of, my, one of my quotes from class this morning? Oh, please do. <laughs> okay it's kind of long but i'm gonna read it anyways because i just think it connects and it's like i think it's good passage or whatever yeah um okay this is from audrey lord's uses of the erotic as power the erotic has often been misnamed by men and used against women it has been made into the confused the trivial the psychotic the plasticized sensation for this reason we have often turned away from the exploration and consideration of the erotic as a source of powered information confusing it with its opposite the pornographic for pornography is not a, is a direct denial of the power of the erotic for it represents suppression of true feeling pornography emphasizes sensation without feeling so i really like this quote because no i just think it's funny to, it's, <laughs> it's socratic like seminar it's a socratic seminar <laughs> So if you guys look on page 54... Um, <laughs> Everybody turn to page 54, please. Yeah. Um, but I really like that. I, when I read that, it kind of made me rethink the relationship between sex and porn. I think right. in our minds, they're so intertwined. as like, oh, well, sex is porn. Porn is sex. And porn is sexual pleasure for people and whatever. But it's really not exactly the same um, at all. <laughs> and so I think that there's this idea, this, this false idea that, like, porn or hypersexualization of oneself self is always empowering um, exactly. for women. And it's just not, really. It's kind of, it's exactly the embodiment of what men want to see from women sexually, I think, rather than, like, what is the truth. I mean, I like the, the statement of porn is sensation without feeling, because that's kind of what it feels like, is that it's just emotionless um and robotic yeah no I agree and it's like I feel like anytime you think that like you're being subversive with something if you go far enough like through 
like being subversive, you're kind of going to like get at the same root of the thing that you were trying to run away from by being like so like radical, I guess, in the other direction. Like we see that, you know, when you're talking about like libertarianism, you know, it's like it's kind of like an interesting thing. But I think that like with stuff like OnlyFans, and I'm sure that that can be like liberating for some people. But again, it's like depending on all of these factors, like you really have all of the like opportunities that you need to be able to like fully consent from like your own heart. And it's hard because it's like, I feel like a lot of times, like you said, like we confuse liberation and sexualization. And I don't think those are the same thing. And like we talk about it, especially with young people too. Like I know you and I have talked about kind of TikTok and like how it's like young girls kind of doing things sometimes that are very sexual, posing in like sheer dresses, kind of doing these more like sexualized dances and things like that. And a lot of people praise them because they're like, no, they're just like learning to take power of their sexuality. It's liberating. It's like, is it liberating because it is liberating for them or is it liberating because they're told that that is what's liberating and it's really just feeding into the same cyclical thing? Like, it's it's kind of just a socially yeah. accepted rebranding of hypersexualization. It's just been, yeah, it's like been it rebranded is. to make people feel better about sexualizing women, young young women especially. Like, it's really just to make us, I think, feel better. And, like, so we thought it's so subversive, but really it's just doing the same thing. No, it is. I mean, I think it's 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 kind of scary, actually. I feel like it's this warped idea of uh, feminism, in a sense. Like bimbo feminism. Yeah, or, I mean, like, the thing is, like, practice, if that makes someone feel good, I'm not going to say don't do what right. makes you feel good, but I think don't, without introspection, don't claim that it's truly coming from within, that it's this joy of, well, I like this. It's like, do you or do you think someone else would like it subconsciously? And it's like, I, th- I think it's really hard to discern between those two things because, I mean, connecting back to what I brought up at the very beginning of the episode, the idea of the panopticon is, like, ever-present, um, which I don't know if people are familiar right, with Right, I was going to say, anyway. maybe explain it if, like, someone hasn't heard that term before. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So, um so the panopticon, I can't remember the name of the man who originally came up with the idea, but I know, I think it was Louis Foucault, Foucault? Yes, yeah. First name that I don't know how to pronounce, really, um, who kind of popularized it as a philosophical concept. Um, so basically, the idea of the panopticon is a prison um, with a guard tower in the middle, and the guards can see all the edges of the prison, which is like sip, like a like a circle like a cylindrical kind of shape. Um, but the prisoners can't see if anybody is in the guard tower. Um, and the principle of it is, like, in, in theory, the prisoners will behave whether or not there's a guard in the tower because they don't know if there is one. And so it, it's become um, interpreted as, this, as the feeling of, like, always kind of being watched by these eyes that are around. Okay. I think and it's become really applicable to feminist ideas as well and the sense of like what is the male gaze what is the societal gaze what does capitalism want us to think of ourselves all of those things kind of rolled up into one guard tower almost and so it's this question of when you're making tiktoks and no one's around is it for you or not i mean like it's this this feeling of you are being watched when no one's there and this performance even when you're alone right Um, and it's kind of like that like Laconian theory too where it's like like a very like similar idea like our perception 
of ourselves as women is not really like our own perception. It's like us perceiving the male perception of it. And it's like kind of like what you were saying, but also like, yeah, like feeding into like the capitalist kind of like jargon. And it's like, again, that rebranding of hypersexualization as like branding yourself and like learning how to monetize yourself. Like it's really just all like these things that we have tried to like get away from. And it's like, before I think people were like, well, I don't want to work at nine to five. So like, I want to be my own boss. And like, I don't want my sexuality capitalized on by someone else. So I'm going to capitalize it on it myself, which in some ways, like, I'm sure, like, I understand that. Like, if, if you feel like your sexuality, like we talked about with like a corporate scale, like if you feel like your sexuality is going to be capitalized on by someone else, like I understand wanting to do it yourself, but it's, it's just hard to find a solution to I think the broader issue and like find it in like a healthy way and I think it's something that like you said like takes a lot of introspection in the sense of like are you still harming yourself by having this like invisible eye mindset or are you really doing something that is ultimately kind of enlightening to you and like really liberating yeah I think that oftentimes too it just connects back to the fact that there's so much more ease and um kind of having this rebranded acceptance of of what your like the idea of womanhood is instead of fighting it back it's so much easier to just kind of be like well no this is what i want (laughs) because it's so difficult to swallow that maybe what you think you want isn't actually what you want and that you've just been so indoctrinated that you don't really know your own identity as much as you think you do um and and it's also sad i mean you don't want to think that this patriarchal system still has the amount of power that it does. And it kind of gives this illusory sense of defiance um, when you're like, well, I'm just, I'm doing it for myself, you know? And it's like, but you're not. It's actually the easy way, if anything. Like, I think it's it's almost always to, um, like, I think being able to kind of deny the existence of those internalized beliefs and the internalized male gaze is, is a place of privilege as well. Right. Um, because I think if you look at someone like black women, like you can't, they're already hypersexualized from a young age. It's not, it's not fun <laughs> for them in the same way that I think you'll see white women on the internet kind of appealing to those same, um, like feelings of sexualization or even more so if you see like I think like sexy makeup trends can mimic the features of those people who are ethnic yeah and I think that's another important thing to point out where I think people kind of take it and use it to their advantage and rebrand it as them empowering themselves when really other people don't have the privilege to do so right and it's like I mean it's also this is not like a hot take but like you know like things like lip fillers or things like all of these other things um and it's not to say that the Eurocentric beauty standard still is not, like, underlying everything. Yeah. But it's, like, like you said, like, a lot of things are also playing on, like, ethnic, like, features that were before kind of, like, denounced and, like, are now interesting because it's, it's like, a trend. And it's I've seen, like, a lot of people of color and just minorities be, like, growing up this was something I got made fun of and now there are all of these people that have like the privilege and money to go like get work done and who are getting work done to like have these features that I was really embarrassed of and who are profiting off of it and it's like an interesting thing of kind of like it feels almost like a taunting thing like I 
I don't think that it's like a giant societal cultural like obviously like a society as a whole I don't think has like one sort of mindset or moral like standard like it's like a collection of movements and trends but it feels like society is almost taunting and there's like a continuation of just oppression in like these ways like I think that it feels like oppression is finding every single way that it can to almost mock people of minorities and like I mean of course that's always been like a big thing through beauty and through sexuality but it feels like that is just like an extra way that like really emphasizes that in today's world where maybe we're making strides in other areas maybe slow strides was like strides and it feels like they're still finding like ways to really kind of take power away yeah it's very insidious i feel like yeah the way that uh power is taken away from minorities and women and um and almost it's it's also kind of i feel like this um sexualization repackaging thing is definitely something of the mainstream yeah feminism um who kind of practices under the guise of being real feminism but doesn't actually get any real work done it's like the same kind of like girl boss feminism thing um where it's like well yeah like hook up with people that'll make you feel good like that's mattering it's like maybe for some people but not for everybody and i think that like when it also comes to young girls sexualizing themselves i think a really important question to ask yourself is like why why does this make me feel good exactly you know where was the first time i saw this and like like this outfit or this movement or whatever and why do i think of it as such a good thing did it have positive reception and who positively received it was it men was it like an advertisement that you saw that was created by men like i think it's like people don't ever stop and think well i didn't I wasn't just born into this world with this inherent view that I'm going to get on TikTok and, you know, make these videos or whatever. Exactly. You're not like an infant waiting to do that. Right. We're doing that in the hunting and gathering days. <laughs> it's so, biologically like, coded into your brain to be a TikTok star. Right. But, like, so why? Like, where does it come from? And it's not, I, I think it's like, I don't want anyone to mistake this as me being like, fuck you if you want to wear lingerie or something like that's not what I mean I just think that there's this kind of um like people try and tell themselves that it's very independent when really maybe it's not and that's okay like it's okay because like I mean it's kind of like it's it's funny because like when you were talking about like girl boss feminism it feels like girl boss feminism and bimbo feminism are like one of those things that like there's to, like they're on opposite ends of the spectrum but like so far that they're kind of doing the same thing to the point where they're like kind of just both feeding into like the standard of like be what men kind of expect you to be and like that's empowering but like kind of for different reasons like girl boss feminism is like just repackaging as a, like your own thought but um like you were saying like I think that like it's it's okay to do that I think it's just like being mindful about it and being mindful about like where that impulse comes from and that maybe like it didn't come from you and again that's okay because like I think that like I know that you and I have like done things and it's like it's okay to feed into that and sometimes it's like a survival thing like sometimes it's like basically to get anywhere like you have to do it I just think it's important to acknowledge it and do you want to move a little into kind of like what we were talking about before I guess before the podcast but like about kind of like the body standard and about how like that is kind of also like a complex thing and nuanced thing especially with things like diet culture oh um 
Yes, give me a little, give me, give me a little, uh, a little segue. Theater. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's because it, I was like, I was like, because it is something that I really want to talk about, but it was like, it is kind of like a little bit of a sharp turn from what we were talking about, but just kind of like with diet culture, I think it's like another thing that has kind of been used as a way to implant things like, oh, taking care of yourself and like doing all of these things. And it's kind of like almost been used as like a girl boss feminine thing um, and it's like yeah, we've seen like, like the clean girl that's aesthetic. what I was I was about to say the clean girl aesthetic which has so many other issues because it's also just so eurocentric um but oh my God, yes it's so, <laughs> right but it's, it's like so absurd I'm sorry like I don't mean to be mean to anybody out there who might be a hardcore lover of clean girl like trend or whatever but when I hear that sound on my tiktok page that's like if you ever see those girls when their lips are always perfectly glossed and <laughs> nothing is out of place and they just look so clean. Well, you may not be them, but here's how to get their look. Right. Every time I hear that, I'm sorry. I just bust out laughing. Oh, my God. Ow. Literally. It's like, I can't take you seriously, babe. Because I, like, I know, I know that. who are the dirty girls? Also, literally, but also, like, I know at the end of the day, like, you get on the toilet and you, like, you blow that shit up after eating something that doesn't sit well with right. your also gut health. I'm going to say it as somebody who worked in a juice. That's what I was about to say. I was about to say, I know those those green juices are not sitting pretty when it comes down to They're it. They're not. They <laughs> actually really do make Like, when I tell you that I was almost always the only person working because my coworkers are blowing up the bathroom <laughs> from the juices they drank, I'm so serious. Right. It's like, it's, so many people came in there with these, like, with definitely disordered eating because why are you paying like a thousand dollars for a juice exactly um i feel like that's indicative of something no hate i've i've been there but um <laughs> oh haven't we all <laughs> but um it's it's people don't even really understand what they're putting in their body and they just assume what's better or worse is like what would make you fat or not which is just not at all the case like juice is actually not very good for your body because it doesn't give it the fiber that it needs right people have this idea that it's like really healthy for you and i always felt like i was lying to people when they came in because i used to be like oh my god this one's so good for your like the immune system (laughs) no i completely understand like when i'm at work and i'm like saying all of like i'm giving the spiel i'm like i literally feel like a capitalist rat because that's what (laughs) what it is kind of it's like when you're selling anything that's like health culture or diet culture or like basing like, like, I guess more like tying morality and health. Like, I think that that is something that is done so often. And again, it's kind of like this rebranding of just like, be a, be a skinny woman so that you look beautiful for me, please. Or like, yeah, well, it's also like, it's people conflate health and thinness so much. It's one of those things that makes me so insane because it's just not true. Right. (laughs) People are just, like nobody there isn't one size fit all for your body like people seem to think that oh well like everyone like avocados are good for everyone or something right but it's like i my mom is actually like allergic to avocados (laughs) right um or similarly there was somebody that i knew who got on the whole 30 diet to try and be like super healthy and she felt horrible because um like she had an issue with the histamines and all the foods and so it's like no 
just because it's like a reduction of calories or a different kind of food does not mean that it's good for your body. And people have such a rigid idea of what health, what's healthy and like what isn't. And I think orthorexia is such a dominant thing in our oh, culture absolutely. that it's not even acknowledged as being a problem at all. Because it's like it's like the kind of idea of like, well, if everybody's disordered, is anybody disordered? And it's kind of like that with orthorexia. It's like, well, if everybody like really has disordered eating and like issues with diet culture and like health then like is it an issue it's like and yes it is it's like i mean i'm one thing that like i mean there's a couple of things that i think were interesting thing that my therapist said to me when i was in recovery one of them was kind of talking about just like animals and intuitive eating and about like how like you, you all of the animals look like i mean slightly different obviously but also just like when you kind of become obsessed with food, it forces you to think about it all the time. And it's like, there's, you kind of lose the ability to intuitively eat. And she was kind of just making the point that all animals, like, while they have, like, those slight differences, like, none of them, like, look extremely thin or, like, extremely X, Y, Z. They tend to look the same. That's not saying, like, of course, like, humans have, like, a lot more variation. And I am a full supporter of, like, health at every size and like body positivity at every size or body neutrality I think that that really depends on the person that you are and how you feel about it but she was just making the point that like our culture's obsession with food is kind of like this self-perpetuating cycle because it loses our ability to intuitively eat and really ultimately like if we were just able to kind of look at our bodies like cues and listen to them it wouldn't be this complex thing and some people who struggle with like fluctuating weight and like binging especially who have like feel like their bodies are above their set point weight it's really often just because of the thoughts are so food centric um and like how it's just like this obsession that our society has with food no exactly i think um going back to what you said about eurocentricism too I think obviously like different parts of the world are going to demand different kinds of bodies. Right. And, um, like biologically, right. Like that just like makes sense. And so oftentimes the, the idea of like the perfect body is especially harmful right. for people of color. Um, and if you look at somewhere like, like Brandy Melville, um, <laughs> right. People don't, why don't, I don't, I, I've never understood why people don't really like talk about the shit that they do, but, um, it's so harmful. Like the whole one size fits all, like, and they're not fooling with anybody with like why that's the case. If you look at all their early promotional stuff, there's not a single person there who isn't just like so European white. Yeah. And so it's just this, it's just another way of kind of, I think selling people whiteness and selling people things um because that's kind of ultimately what it comes down to as well is it's like the juices at that place i worked at were so so expensive and it's this thing of like well i mean like you can have a perfect body if you just pay 70 dollars for a pack of four juices and it's like i mean that's really the reasoning behind all of it it's just a way of making people feel deficient but also on the topic of health and eating intuitively I think it really has been screwed up. Like, I I don't know about other people's, I mean, home situation, but yeah. I was definitely raised in a way where there were a lot of messaging sent to me about portion sizing and um, frequency of, like, how much you eat, you know. And um, 
I think in addition to those messages that I've received at home, there's also so many that are just given to you by the world around you. Um, about, I mean, from an early age, even if it comes from a good spot, there's a lot of messaging about like what's healthy and what you should have when you eat. And these are the portions you should have. It should be 20% vegetable and right. this percent starch and like blah, 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 blah. And it just doesn't really work like that. Like I think your body, unfortunately, does not work as algorithmically as we want it to. Right, like <laughs> humans are not meant to like fit a certain pattern or like unified trajectory. And that is like literally kind of, the whole point of biology like have you done the punnett square have you but it's like and that's like one of the reasons that humans are able to have lived through so many things and so many natural disasters and so many diseases is because of the diversity and like it's funny because like right and it's funny because like we recognize all of these different like pieces of diversity and i think we're getting better and it's like you know, maybe not historically always for sure, but I think that people are kind of, like, learning to celebrate diversity in a lot of ways, but, like, body size and, like, that kind of whole atmosphere is not something. Like, that is something that we are expected to be the same at (laughs) or it's, like, associated with, like, morality. And that was, like, another thing that my therapist was talking about was, like, she was, like, within, like, your own personal fat phobia, like, when I was recovering, and she she wasn't doing it in a way that was, like, shaming me because she was, like, it's not something that you're trying to do it's kind of something that just been taught like through like media representation or all of these things but like what are words you associate with like larger bodied people and it was just it was a really informative and enlightening thing to just see the way that I think that we're taught to associate morality or character with body size in a way that I don't think we're necessarily it's at least for me I feel like it was a more emphasized way than other like physical features Mm -hmm. well Sorry, I'm chewing. <laughs> she's cheese gritting, guys. She's cheese gritting. Oh, and really quick, also, like, the Brandy Melville thing, it feels like by marketing, like, these health fads and, like, the whiteness, mm-hmm. like, I, and by marketing that as, like, kind of, like, what you want to achieve. Because when you make something expensive, like, it kind of immediately equates it with, like, higher class and higher quality. Right. But it's, it's interesting because when you look at kind of, like, wealth distribution in America, like, it's still very much divided by, like, race for the most part. Like, it's still, like, we see cyclic poverty in minority communities, and so it kind of feels like a way to maintain a sort of, like, class immobility by, like, marketing these expensive things um, to white people to almost, like, reinforce, like, a weird sense of, like, white supremacy. Like, it's a really, like, interesting way that I think like there's no, been like that continuity. One thousand percent. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Because that's that that's very, very true. The whole slapping a high price on it. It kind of there's there is one that kind of appeals to that like quote clean girl aesthetic even before it had a name. Yeah. Do. Where like I feel like places that are healthier, it's very much this like minimalistic Yeah kind of white walls maybe they have a plant in there maybe like a a cute little neon sign and everything is four hundred thousand dollars and it does give this feeling of like uh not necessarily like race segregation i mean you could argue that as well but like a class segregation yeah it's been like well i'm not eating like the pores you know right i mean which in turn like has some racial connotation to it just based on the way of like the way that cyclic poverty works in our country and the way that that is like so 
tied to race. I mean, even when you look at things like gentrification and redlining, like things like that, it's just, it's a very interesting thing, especially like, when you look at the fact that they are like branding it so white at all of those places. Like I feel like even like places like juice bars or just like places like this, it's just, it's a very like interesting thing. And it's really like not so secretive. Like they're not trying to cover it up, but it's something that like is not really being talked about either. Like you said, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Did you just burp or something? No, I just kind of am losing my voice because my little cold. And so I said, interesting. And it kind of just trailed off because yeah, my voice. Yeah, and I was like, no, what the hell was that? <laughs> You're dying. You're dying. You're, wait, what was I going to say? What did you, before you started talking about, oh, fuck. <laughs> Excuse me, we don't have the explicit on this podcast. You can beat me. You can beat me out. <laughs> Um, wait, no, what were we talking about? Before the wealth and white kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, I wish I could tell you. But do you want to talk about how EDs are self-harm and how it's, like, a perpetuated self-harm? Because I feel like that is something that has, like, really been intriguing to me recently and that I've thought about a lot and how, like, EDs are, like, inherently self-harm, but there's, like, a lot of stigma or at least, like, connotation around cutting and things like that, and I feel like those are things that, like, we think of people as, like, weird. Oh, okay. Well, really quick. interject okay. and then respond to that. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Maybe maybe you can do some fancy editing or something. Oh, no, you got it. People will get it. But, but um, I'll make it quick. I just want to do a quick shout-out to... um. I don't know if anybody listening is a fan of video essays, but Mina Lay has one on, or Mina Lee, I don't know how it's pronounced, but I know it's Mina is her first name. Mm-hmm. Um, she is one on the history of diet culture, and I think that's really interesting, because um, it connects exactly to what you're talking about, about like wealth, connecting to uh, diet, and how it became this thing of like, it shows your classiness not eating a lot because you have so much at your disposal that you can practice restraint. Like, that was kind of culturally how it emerged. It was, like, the rich women who could, who had the privilege of practicing dieting because, like, if you are struggling to eat, like, you're going to eat, you know, when you have the chance. Right. And so it's indicative of this privilege. And she talks a lot about that in her video, and it would be really interesting to check out if anybody's interested in that. No, I completely agree. But go ahead. Um, In regards to, like, self-harm, I think it's, like, we live in a society that's so critical that that kind of, like, it wants you to be self-critical. Yeah. That kind of punishing yourself by way of food has become incredibly, like, acceptable because it's normalized. And it's not... It, it doesn't feel as visceral to people, I think, as something like cutting or... Exactly. Or, like, drugs or, you know, until it's completely tangible. Um, because in other forms of self-harm, you can see it. And with an ED, you can't see it until someone is incredibly thin. But at that point, they are in deep. You know, I think there's this notion of, like, oh, well, someone, if someone's not, like, super skinny, then, like, they probably need to cut out some food anyways. Yeah. And it's like, well, what, why? Exactly. <laughs> it's like, what? Like, that's like saying, like, 
Well, you know what? Like, they've already peed, like, a lot today. So, like, maybe they should just, like, hold it, you know? Like, maybe they just shouldn't right. go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't make sense because people's bodies sometimes blur naturally thinner or naturally bigger. Right. Um, but there's this idea, too, of, like, well, if I... I mean, this is kind of where binging and purging comes in. Right. But, like, if I ate, like, a bunch of chocolate today, then, like, I can't eat anything for the rest of the day. And that's like, viewed as acceptable because everyone's like, oh, well, that makes sense. They're trying to lose weight or right. something. And exactly. It's like, well, especially because we have associated it with, again, like we've said before, like, we've associated it with, with worth, with morality, and with beauty. And, like, that, I think, makes it such, like, a toxic form of self-harm because then people are like, oh, yeah, like, they're doing, like, the right thing, you know? As for, right. like, cutting, is like, oh, my God, like, even though, like, anorexia and just, like, eating disorders in general are, like, the most deadly mental illness, like, ultimately, people don't look at them like that. Like, it's almost, I feel like it's also viewed as, like, a more, like, tragically beautiful thing, which is, like, oh, weird. Yeah. And kind There's of, like... another Mina Lay video on that, if anyone wants to watch it, about, um, Tumblr girl and Lana Del Rey culture. Right. That's really interesting. No, it is very, like, Lana Del Rey. Like, I know that we, like... Ali and I have this, like, quote that I have brought up to so many people because it's so applicable and, like, it's, like, a phenomenon of, like, the Lana Del Rey, like, moment or, like, headspace. But I feel like that kind of, like, is, like, when you look at, like, Thinspo or, like, people that are pro-Anna or things like that, like, it very much is, like, this, like, it's also just, like, very much, like, a femininity. Like, people think that that is, like... Because it, it fits, like, this traditional Eurocentric ideal of femininity in a sense of, like, you're docile, you're wafy, you're, like, all of these things, you're very delicate, you're, like, all... And it's just, like, perceived as, like, innocence. And it's also, kind of like we were talking about before, is, like, a little bit of, like, feels kind of sexualizing young women, like, young girls. Because it's, like... Ultimately, those are kind of bodies that you have when you're, like, prepubescent. <laughs> I mean, really, this just makes me think about, um, I'm sure some people will know what I'm talking about, but the interview with um, Princess Nokia, or is it Nokia? I think it's Nokia, I think right? it's Nokia. <laughs> what do you say? I think it's Nokia. She's just like, right, calling on my phone, Nokia. Well, like, I was, sometimes I get scared that I'm saying stuff wrong. That you're going to get canceled. Yeah. Um, but that interview with her, and she's like, um, my tiny frame and my little breasts and my sweet little girl voice. Oh! Voice. <laughs> it's like, it evokes something so passionate in people. And, like, people just think, oh, I bet all your men just, like, fantasize about what it's like to be with someone as small as me. Uh-uh. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Who, and like, what press team told her that that was okay? It was in the Genius interview. I know, but, like, I do not have, like, a publisher, like, a publicity agent or, like, something. No, but, like, what's even crazier to me is I remember watching that video on YouTube a while ago and being like, what is happening? Because I read through the comments. And everyone was like, she's right. She is so fun. Y'all just mad. Like, you oh guys are mad. my God. Just like, I'm like, <laughs> and like men being like, I love a woman who knows how sexy she is. Blah, blah, blah. Y'all need to stop hating. That's basically saying, I um, love a child. <laughs> and Period. I just think that like says a lot. That says a lot about society. Right. <laughs> 
because we live in a society is what she's saying <laughs> i am saying we live in a society i am <laughs> um so i don't really know where i was going with that just that i think it's it's one of those things that i was like oh my god if this is not indicative of the eurocentric pedophilic beauty standards that we have right and the way that it's so internalized too like people don't Literally. even know the sources people don't even know the sources of like of these beauty standards because i mean for example like princess nokia isn't isn't white and it's like I mean, that's not, like, hate on her. <laughs> well, I should hope not. I should hope that's not hate on her. <laughs> but um, I just mean in the sense that, like, even people, members of oppressed groups, I think, people don't have any awareness that that's what they're feeding into. And it goes, like, right back right. into the orthorexic conversation, the conversation about young girls sexualizing themselves. And it's just people don't. People just do what they feel like is the is the quick way to be accepted and loved by the society around them right. without really thinking about what the root of it was. Right. And I, I don't mean, know if that makes any sense. Honestly, but. I think it's, it is almost interesting that she is, like, a person of color in that way, too, because it feels like... And I'm not saying that she doesn't have pride in that, but it, it is, like, interesting because it's... I think that when there is, like, a history of being oppressed or of, like, almost exiled or, like, any of those things in society based on the way that you look. Like, I think that whether, like, naturally or I don't know, like, if she has, like, eating stuff or whatever, but it's, like, it feels like being thin is one way that you can find to be, like, fitting that beauty standard, whether or not, like, again, like, whether or not you're aware that it's, like, a Eurocentric one, it just feels like something kind of, like, grasping at trying to you know, like, fit into that. Yeah. Um, damn, someone's, someone's getting some notifications. Uh, I am getting some notifications from the group me, from the... Guys, we are collegiate as well. So, just to announce that. Ali said oh, she right. is in, at school in New York. She is scholarly, reading her Audre Lord. She's beautiful. We love to see it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's all we have for today. But, Allie, thank you so much. Sorry we're a whole bunch of nerds. Yeah, we do sound like a whole bunch of nerds, but that's true. But, Allie, my dear, thank you for being on today. I told my friend friend here that I was going to be on this, and they said that it would probably be boring. So, I hope that you guys are going to use this boring. Yeah, okay. Thanks, guys.